And I'd like for you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5 again, and then you can also find the book of Job. We began teaching a series starting last week on the endurance of Job. And last week we talked about why and how to study the book of Job. And in answering the question, why study the book of Job, we said, admittedly, the book of Job is not an easy read. There are 42 chapters, which makes it one of the longest books in the Bible. But it has been praised as a masterpiece in world literature, and Christians often neglect it. And our text in James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 in the King James Version says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We learned last week uh, that the Greek word translated patience here is hupomone. According to Strong's, it means cheerful and hopeful endurance, constancy and steadfastness under duress. And although it is similar to patience, it is better translated, more accurately translated, endurance, and most versions render it either endurance, steadfastness, or perseverance. The verb form of that word, word hupomeno, is translated endure in the same verse. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. So typically when we hear the word patience, we think of waiting, waiting without becoming irritable. <laughs> He's very patient. Um, and although that's similar to endurance, it's not the same. There's actually two Greek words translated patience in the King James Version. Uh, the other Greek word translated patience has more to do with waiting, and therefore patience is an accurate translation, or it could be also translated long-suffering. And that Greek word, for example, is in this passage in James 5, verses 7 and 8, when it speaks of being patient unto the coming of the Lord. Now, that's a different Greek word, and it means patient. And a farmer waiting for the harvest is what is used here to illustrate patience, okay? But this Greek word, hupomone, is much better translated endurance. And as I said, RSV, NIV, New King James, ESV, Amplified, NLT, they all translate it either endurance, 
steadfastness, or perseverance. I really like the English Standard Version uh, of the New Testament. I've been using that quite a bit lately. And it translates, verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So endurance, why is this important? Because endurance is a major theme in the New Testament, amen? I mean, in the Bible, and in the New Testament, and actually in this uh, epistle of James. In the first chapter, for example, uh, verses 3 and 4 says that the trying of our faith produces hupomone. The trying of our faith produces endurance. And we are to let endurance, King James says patience, but again, hupomone, let endurance have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire or mature and entire lacking in nothing. So because endurance is a major theme in the New Testament and because... James speaks of endurance, and Job is the only example that James mentions by name. I think we should take time to consider his story, Job's story, and particularly look at his endurance. Amen? Obviously, Jesus is our supreme example, and we are to look to him and that word also is hupomone in Hebrews 12.1. It says that we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses because it's coming out of chapter 11 with the hall of faith, amen? And Job is in that cloud of witnesses as well. And it says, seeing that we are surrounded with this great cloud of witnesses, let us run our race with hupomone with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the best example of all, amen? And it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our, of our faith, who endured, hupomeno, the verb, the cross, despising the shame. And now he's set down at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. So consider him first and foremost. Uh, but many Old Testament saints and stories foreshadow the Messiah, are types and shadows of Christ in some way. And I propose to you that Job's endurance, because that's what we're to specifically look at, is foreshadowing the endurance of Christ in a specific way. Okay? We know all types and shadows fall, you know, short in ex their exactness, but particularly 
the way that Jesus says he endured the cross despising the shame. He was despised and rejected of men in the great prophetic passage in Isaiah chapter 53. It says that we considered him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Well, that was Job's friends. They misunderstood and misjudged Job. And so you may wonder why these 35 chapters are in the Bible. 35 of the 42 are what is called the debate. And it is the speeches of Job's friends who misunderstood him. And that is one of the primary things that Job endured. And that's what we're going to look at, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Well, again, we're wrapping up or reviewing why study the book of Job. And one of the answers is that Job is the only example that James mentions by name, speaking of endurance. So let's go to the book of Job, chapter 1. And a little bit of an overview. The author of the book of Job is unknown. Job is not the author of the book of Job. His name is in the title because he is the main character in the story. But the author is unknown. Um, Of course, the book of Job is in the canon of Scripture. So we know from the New Testament that whoever penned the book of Job did so moved by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. Moreover, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 15.4, and I love this verse, And again, it answers, why study the book of Job? Romans 15.4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through hupameno, or hupamone, I guess it is, patience, that we, through patience and comfort of Scripture, might have hope. The ESV says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Okay, that's a good reason to study any book in the Bible, amen? Written for our instruction that we through endurance, it's translated, and through the encouragement of the scriptures might have hope. And I have actually gained instruction Endurance, encouragement, and hope by studying the book of Job. And it is my hope to pass some of that on to you. Hallelujah. The book of Job is not dated, but most commentators agree that it is probably the oldest book in the Bible, written before the Pentateuch meaning the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. It was written before that. 
And so Job was not an Israelite, meaning he was not a descendant of Abraham. If anything, he was a contemporary of Abraham, but he lived far away from Israel or Hebron, where Abraham was. Um, It says in the book of Genesis that Uz, or Uz, was a grandson of Shem. So we know, of course, that Job was a descendant of Noah, as were all of us. (laughs) Amen. And Noah, of course, was a descendant of Adam. And so... He lived, according to chapter 1 and verse 1 of Job, in the land of Uz, or it could, could be pronounced Uz, right? So, I don't have, do I have that written? I believe I do. All right. So, why and how to study. Last week at the end of the lesson, of course, I shared my testimony with you last week, which what I have been through definitely was inspiration to study the endurance of Job. But how to study, there are rules of interpretation when studying any book in the Bible. One, interpret scripture in the light of scripture, particularly the New Testament, even more so the epistles, because they are letters written to the church. Consider the context. And thirdly, consider the meaning of the original language and the translation. So when we say interpret scripture in the light of scripture, we could say that James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, is a New Testament commentary on the book of Job, and James tells us what our takeaway should be. We should learn about endurance from Job, and our takeaway about God should be is that he is very compassionate. He is full of mercy. Amen. Hallelujah. And then consider the context. Everything written in the Bible is for us, but not everything is specifically to us, so we need to always ask ourselves, who is doing the speaking? Amen. And to whom is he or she speaking? So it is not wise nor accurate to quote a passage from the Bible as, thus saith the Lord, when it's actually a quote of someone other than the Lord. And we gave examples of that. Like, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. True, the Bible says that. But that is not, thus saith the Lord. Herod was afraid that Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. And his statement was not accurate. He is being quoted in the Gospels, amen? So now I want to get to the, uh, an example in the book of Job. Job 121. 
This has become an infamous verse of Scripture. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This verse is often quoted, but remember, it is simply a quote or a record of what Job said. Okay? Job is not the author of the book of Job. So Job is quoted here. Okay? And those of us who have an understanding about Satan from the New Testament, we're not ignorant of his devices. It's not appropriate to embrace that verse as our own. And that is why we just sang this verse of Scripture a couple of Sundays ago, and, but with revised lyrics, because the chorus says, you give and take away. Coming from this verse, you give and take away, you give and you take away. Well, that does not line up with the whole of Scripture, especially not with the New Testament, especially not with the epistles. Amen? And so we revise the lyrics, or someone did, and we choose those. You give and make a way. Amen? Now, the rest of the song is great, and it does uh, speak of the essence of Job's commitment to the Lord. It says, Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. Amen. Blessed be your glorious name. And then the chorus originally written, you give and take away, taken from this verse, Job 121, but revised, it lines up with scripture. You give and make away. Amen. What the enemy means for evil, God turns for good. Hallelujah. He will work all things together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. He makes a way when there seems to be no way. He makes rivers in the wilderness. Hallelujah. Streams in the desert. A highway in the ocean. <laughs> he parts the sea. He makes a way. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I told the ladies when I spoke on Saturday a few weeks ago, um, when David was in the hospital, I sang a song. I want to, did, oh, we sang it a, Sunday, a few Sunday nights ago when we took communion. Jojo led it. But I sang that. I turned on YouTube on the TV because I like seeing the people and getting in. Every morning I sang that song, Graves into Gardens. I said, 
You turn graves into gardens. Hallelujah. But it, it has several other lines. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. And you're the only one who can. Hallelujah. And there is nothing better than you. Hallelujah. There's nothing better than you. Glory to God. You're the only one who can. Hallelujah. He makes a way. You give and you make a way. Hallelujah. So, blessed be your name. So Job is commended by God in the prologue. Did I mention the book of Job has three major parts. That is the prologue then what is called the debate, and then the epilogue. So the prologue is really a brief introduction. It's really just three chapters. Then you have this lengthy debate of four individuals. It is Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And then Elihu gets involved later, and and Job... And those 35 chapters, what's called the debate, are all quotes of someone other than God. And other than the author of the book, even. They are direct quotes from Job, Bildad, uh, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Elihu. So one might ask, well, why are, and it's really a fleshly debate. A lot of it is unscriptural. Okay? And so you have to kind of drudge through it and raise your eyebrows like, what is this talking about, right? But if you understand, this is a debate of Job's three, Job's three friends delivering speeches to Job, and Job defending himself and then Elihu jumping in before the epilogue where God speaks out of the whirlwind. It's like what a relief. Praise God. Finally, God talks, right? And so it is not until that epilogue, so either in the prologue or the epilogue, can we find verses and say, thus saith the Lord. In the prologue, we can say, thus saith the Lord. In the epilogue, we can say, thus saith the Lord. But for 35 chapters, technically, scripturally, with the rules of Bible interpretation that we use in every other book that we would study, you cannot pull a verse out and say, thus saith the Lord. Now, rule number one of Bible interpretation is interpreted in the light of Scripture. So there are statements made, by certainly by Job, and also by um, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu that do line up with the Scriptures. So if any of them or if anybody in 
and the scriptures says something that's true and that lines up with the scriptures, then so be it, right? Then it's true. What's true is true, right? But um, and what I was starting to say is that Job is commended by God in the prologue. Uh, verse, where do I have that? Let's read verse 1, for example. I know I have it somewhere, yes. Job 1, 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. That is the King James Version. But three times in the prologue, Job is described as perfect and upright or blameless and upright. In Job 1.1, Job 1.8, and Job 2.3. In Job 2.3, God adds, there is no one like him on earth. So God is pleased with Job. Now, we know that Job was not sinless because the New Testament, Romans 3.10, says there are none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, verse 23 of Romans 3. Amen? So we know that he was not sinless. The New Living Translation renders these verses a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. And then God said in chapter 2, verse 3, he is the finest man in all the earth. So that's God's description of Job. Okay, So because of that, we should consider Job's life and we should consider what Job says, but there's a lot of other things to consider about what Job says. And the bottom line is, Job said it, not God, right? And, and he's not the author of the book. So Job said some things that are true, but he also said some things that are not true true and not scriptural. But Job's friends, particularly his the first three friends, they were not commended by God. So to quote one of Job's friends as thus saith the Lord, that is a big no-no. Now, if it lines up with Scripture, we can accept it, but I personally would not open up my Bible and quote a verse from the book of Job as thus saith the Lord when it was Eliphaz, Bildad, or Zophar. Because when God does speak, he says to Eliphaz, you and your two friends have not spoken what is right. That is in uh, Job 42, verse 7. He says, 
I am angry with you, and you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. Job 42, 7. So I could not quote any one of those, (laughs) even if it lined up with the scripture. I want to give an example. Bildad said this in Job 15, 14. And this verse of scripture, like many other passages in the Bible and from the book of Job, are taken out of context and quoted. This verse is quoted in gospel messages. But Bildad is actually attacking Job as a proud hypocrite in this verse, Job 15, 14. He says, What is man that he should be clean, and he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? That was Bildad talking to Job. And if you look at the context, he is being mean. (laughs) Because Job is claiming his innocence Meaning, he's defending himself because his friends are saying, you must have sinned. So see, Job, these are Job's friends. So they shared the same basic theology that, excuse me, that God is just. And everything that happens is orchestrated by God. That it was, you know, the extreme sovereignty philosophy because they had no understanding of the origin or operation of Satan. And actually, what we find in the prologue is God's description of Job, which we just covered, then... Satan's schemes and attacks. But that is a behind-the-scene view. It's for the reader. Job doesn't see that. Job doesn't understand the operation of Satan. And so Job and his friends believed in God, they were worshipers of God, and monotheistic worship was rare in that time, but Job and his friends were worshipers of the one true God, okay? And that was passed down to them from Noah, including animal sacrifice, which started all the way with Abel, and it was a way of acknowledging my sin deserves death and this animal is a substitute. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So animal sacrifice and worship of God was passed down to Job and these were his friends and they believed God is just but they believed God is running the universe we know from the New Testament 
Second Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan is now the god of this world. He's blinded the minds of those that don't believe. Ephesians 6 talks about the rulers of the darkness of this world. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. Uh, there's so much in the New Testament about Satan, but do you know that in the Old Testament, there was very little. We know in the book of Genesis, he appears as a serpent and deceives Eve, right? And accuses God of withholding something. And the name Satan means accuser or adversary, the one who opposes. Um, I am kind of jumping all over the place here. <laughs> Bear with me. Oh boy, and I'm running out of time. Okay. Let me make sure I get what I want to get said here tonight. All right. I want to give another example, though, of interpretate, interpreting Scripture correctly. <clears throat> so, as I mentioned, Job is commended by God in the prologue and in the epilogue and in the New Testament, James, right? But he makes several statements, especially in the debate that are not scriptural. For example, um, Job 9, 22 and 23, he, you know, his friends are saying, God is just, therefore you must have done something wrong. Job is defending himself and at some times blames God or puts things off on God. For example, he says in those verses, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Because he's thinking, I'm, I'm not to blame, so God must destroy the blameless and the wicked. And when disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. Well, we know that is not true, but that was a statement by Job. Then there's an, another statement that is true and lines up with Scripture, and this is often quoted. We actually heard this, David and I, last night on an old Western. They were having a funeral, and they quoted Job 19, uh, I'm sorry, Job uh, 41.1. Man that is born of a woman is full of days, few of day, few days and full of trouble. <laughs> that is Job 41.1. Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. So Job is bemoaning the brevity of life there. And like I said, I just heard it quoted on an old western last night. <laughs> but in Job 19.25, and this is in Handel's Messiah, and we sing this, Job says something not only true, but very profound and prophetic. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. 
Glory to God. So Job was saying, you know, again, it's a debate with his friends. He is defensive, and sometimes it appears that he loses his patience. (laughs) And in a future lesson, I am going to talk about that. But there's so much that Job does not know and does not understand. And even with our being New Testament believers, there's still so much we don't know and don't understand. Amen? We see through a glass darkly. But Job says, one thing I do know. I know that my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah! And he will stand in the latter day on the earth. How profound and prophetic is that? I mean, it's estimated that Job lived 2,300 years before Christ. We are 2,300 years after Christ. We know that Jesus was raised from the dead, and we concert, we celebrate you know, the resurrection day just last month. And we can say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. But Job profoundly and prophetically declared that 2,300 years before Christ, before he was even prophesied by by the prophets. I know that my Redeemer lives Hallelujah. And then he said, in my flesh, I will see God. Well, even though this flesh is going to be destroyed, I'm going to see God. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. I am going to wrap this up. Hallelujah. So the prologue, a short narrative and introduction, we just read one verse from that, but... The prologue can also be called Job's distress because in it we learn of the calamities that befell him. He loses all of his wealth and in the next breath he learns all of his ten children were killed. They were all in one house probably celebrating a birthday or something. They got together and a tornado hit the home and collapsed, and he lost all 10 of his children. And then in chapter two, we read that painful sores, boils break out all over his body. Now, at the end of chapter two, Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar show up. And at first, they just were silent. And for seven days, they didn't say anything. That was the best thing that they did for Job. (laughs) That was the best thing that they did. And... Um, then in chapter 3, Job descends emotionally 
into a place of darkness and depression and cries out, not cursing God, but cursing the day he was born and wishes he would never have been born. And this is when his friends start correcting him and challenging him. And next we drudge through what is called the debate and again, according to the rules of Bible interpretation, which we've already established, virtually everything in this next section, 35 chapters, is what someone else said other than God. Uniquely, in this book of the Bible, those 35 chapters are not God or the author speaking. They are direct quotes of either Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, or Elihu. And the purpose, perhaps we can learn something about Job's endurance. Because the speeches of his friends may very well be the most difficult thing Job endured. Conversely, on the other hand, I will say this in closing. I wonder what Job's outcome would have been if these friends didn't show up at all. Because even though their preaching was wrong, and God said so, their coming to him in his time of grief was right. Authentic community bears witness to suffering. There were other friends and family members who took the easy route and stayed away from Job. And Job lamented that. Job 19, 13, and 14, he said, My relatives stay far away. My close friends have forgotten me. These are the friends that came to him. And although it was very difficult for him to endure their misjudgment, in the end, God spoke and straightened them all out. And God restored. Job and gave him double.